0: To this webinar today, thank you all for coming. Um, by way of introduction, my name is Peretz Shapiro. I'm the managing director at Charity. Um, just to give you a little bit of a little bit of an overview about Charity, for those who are unfamiliar, um, we launched in Australia about four years ago, and we've been privileged to work with uh, over 50 schools in 50 independent schools throughout the country, helping everybody achieve fundraising success, and predominantly through our signature giving days that many of you would be familiar with. Um, One of our many ambitious mottos at charity is is that we like to make the impossible possible. Um, And we've definitely seen schools achieve results that they previously may have thought were um, impossible. So that's just a little bit about charity and who we are. And also want to give a thank you out to Neil at Educate Plus for helping to promote this webinar, um, as well as uh, Ahisa and ASPA Um, For promoting this webinar to their members. So how this webinar came to be just as a by way of background. So a few weeks ago, we launched our um, Online giving page for schools um, and offered it this year for free to schools throughout the country to assist the communities um, During the COVID environment and helping their families. So briefly about this page. um, This online giving page is there to help your school with your digital giving appeal this year, whether it's annual giving or otherwise, by adding a really beautifully designed digital element to your fundraiser. Um, Whether your school doesn't currently have a great donation page on your website, or you simply just want to give your donors a really good experience when making the donation, so the donor can get instant recognition, feel part of a greater collective, and feel as though they're having a really significant impact when they're giving and that's really important. Now, this is especially true if you've already launched your annual appeal and if it's already in the market, because that means that you've already prepared a lot of your collateral, it becomes much easier to then just plug that in into a beautiful platform. In this case, um, if you've, if your appeals already in the market, then donations received say through, uh, through checks, or through, through on your website, et cetera, they can be added to your page. And even if your direct mail letter is pointing its donation, it, it, it has a, a link to your school's donation page, um, your IT team can just redirect that really quickly in about 15 seconds or so um, to a dedicated, beautiful page from charity. So, and this also applies even if you haven't started an annual appeal that this year, we can still get you on the platform. It might just take a little bit more time, but than those with their appeal already in the market, but definitely still able to help you out as well. So briefly about this page, um, it's there to provide a, an easy and impactful donation experience to your donors. Um, it allows you to showcase your school in a modern way, in a fresh way, in a way that really talks about your cause, um, in a way that will resonate with your community in a digital environment. And additionally, we'll, uh, we, we order, charity automates the receipts you, so it takes away the hassle uh, on your end from an administration perspective. As soon as someone donates, they're issued with an automatic receipt, um, which charity issues on behalf of the school. Um, you, by doing so, by having such an easy and simple and donor-centric uh, environment, you'll definitely raise more funds and we've seen that over the years. And, and as I just said earlier, this platform is free this year for schools. So quickly, if you're interested and, and want to learn a bit more about how this could work for you, um, just send us through a quick email. The email address is there on the screen. Just with the subject line, I would like you to create a giving page for my school. Um, if you do so today, we're having our teamwork over the weekend so we can have a first draft for you ready Monday afternoon. Um, so there's the email again, info at charity.com.au or give us a phone call and we'll be able to get that up and running for you fairly quickly. Um, later on in next week, or uh, you might see some information about additional Uh, information or webinar about how this uh, online giving page works. But again, if you want something done really quickly and want to have a look at the first draft, um, send something email through uh, after this webinar. So back to how this webinar came to be. So when we launched this product, we got a whole lot of uh, 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 questions from schools with a lot of interest, obviously. Um, It's not costing the schools anything and there's a lot and schools do want to have this um, uh, really good donor-centric platform. But the question was how do we provide tax deductibility um, potentially for hardship donations or bursary funds? And this was an ongoing conversation that we had repeatedly um, over uh, over the space of a week since we launched the product. So in order to help our school partners, we decided to approach the guru in this field. um, One of the most respected philanthropy and tax lawyers in the country, uh, Joey Bornstein, uh, who's a partner in Arnold Bach Lieber. Who I personally know has provided excellent advice to many schools, many independent schools around Australia on this exact issue for many years. So, a little bit about Joey. Um, Joey has over 40 years of experience in commercial and taxation law. He's got a deep understanding of taxation, trusts, philanthropy, and charitable giving. Um, Joey's been a partner at ABL since 1991, and ABL as a whole represents a diverse group of charitable and not for profit organizations that are active in the cultural, health, welfare, religious, education, indigenous and environmental sectors. Um, And he advises, they advise their clients on all aspects of their establishment, access to tax concessions and day-to-day operations. The firm is widely regarded as being one of the foremost firms in relation to private and public ancillary funds. And I know Joey Tay is gonna touch a little bit on the public ancillary fund uh, element. Um, And Joey and his team has helped his clients established over 100 ATO-approved private and public ancillary funds. In 2019, Joey was appointed as a member in the General Division of the Order of Australia, otherwise known as an AM, and this was given as a recognition for significant service to the community through a diverse group of charitable and not-for-profit organisations, including uh, Joey's a life member of the executive of Mount Scopus Memorial College Foundation, Um, he's the director of the Jewish Holocaust Centre Foundation, President of the Australian Friends of Yad Vashem, Director of Collingwood Football Club Foundation and, Joey's as well, a Director of the Australian Academy of Robotic Innovation Education Simulation Limited. Um, In short, after all that, one would be hard pressed to find someone more experienced, more knowledgeable or better placed to provide guidance in this area. So before I hand over to Joey, thank you everybody for submitting their questions beforehand. There's, you know, looking at the, at the webinar right now, there's close to 200, there's 184 participants here, so we're not going to have a chat function where people will be able to just ask questions throughout the webinar due to the volume of the amount of people that are here. There is a Q&A box, so if you feel that a question hasn't been addressed by Joey through the presentation, feel free to put your question into that Q&A, and depending on time we'll try to get to as many questions as possible. So without further ado, I'd like to hand over to Joey, um, and his team members who are here, Jessica and Annie, to lead us in this presentation.
1: Thanks, Peretz, for that glowing introduction. Um, Block Liebler act for a number of non-government schools, mainly in Melbourne and Sydney. Um, I'm a partner and I'm also a director and life member of the executive Mount, Scol- Mount Scopus College Foundation. So. I bring both a legal and a, a direct experience um, with schools perspective to this presentation and co-presenting with me today, and part of the ABL private team, Jessica Wills and Ali Bethune uh, both uh, work closely with me and they're part of my team. So I just want to show you now a structure that a lot of you will be familiar with. The, these are the, the three main types of school DGR tax deductible entities. We'll explain them all in detail later on, but the three available entities for schools are a library fund, a building fund, and a scholarship fund. And the donations to these funds are open to anybody. So in other words, individuals, companies, trusts um, can make donations to these funds. And also, if you have them in your donor base, clients who have their own private ancillary funds or foundations can also contribute directly into these. I want to touch on later on um, how you can introduce a public ancillary fund into this structure and the advantages of doing so So if you want to just flip that next slide, thanks. So um, introducing a public ancillary fund allows you to accumulate funds in the public ancillary fund and decide subsequently which fund you want to release those funds to, but we will deal with that more later on. It clearly complicates the diagram. Um, However, uh, this all will be revealed. I should just say, I don't know if parents mentioned it, the slides for the presentation will be available, be circulated by charity after today. So um, we're happy to make all of this available to you. So I would like to now hand over to Ali just to go through with you the features of a library fund. mute. Uh, Hi, I don't know if you can hear me, but Ellie's muted. Can somebody unmute her? Here we go.
2: So a library fund is a fund that's established and maintained solely to provide for the maintenance and operation of a public library. And this includes at a school. It's defined as a place to set apart to contain books and other literary material for reading, study or reference. A library fund comes under DGR status, it's an item one DGR, as it falls within the public library DGR category, like public museums and art galleries. It must be available to the public, and a school library can be a public library if the school is open to the public. So this includes primary and secondary schools that are run as not-for-profit entities. It must be registered as a charity with the ACNC or operated by a registered charity, and consequently, it has tax-exempt status. The funds can be used to purchase books and other literary material and also can be used to pay library staff. And this also extends to online library collections and resources and the technology, which includes dedicated computers used to access these resources. Some features and indicators of a public library include making the collection available for use, uh, including regular lending, display, reading, rather than merely storing it, displaying the collection in a building or a separate place so that it is readily distinguished as a library, and the employment of a qualified librarian. While this is not essential, a lack of appropriate knowledge and skills would indicate against a public library. And any public library or school library fund is required to have a library policy to evidence its character as a public library. And now I'll hand over to Jess.
3: Yep. So, as Joey touched on, this second category that we're looking at today is a school building fund. So, a school building fund is established and maintained solely in order to provide money for the acquisition, construction, or maintenance of a building, including fixtures used or to be used as a school. Uh, Generally, you wouldn't be um, using funds from a school building fund to acquire land and acquisition of land to that extent is only permitted um, to the extent it reasonably relates to an area occupied by a building used or to be used as a school. Uh, As With the other categories, a school building fund is eligible for deductible gift recipient endorsement and it's an item one DGR, so it can receive uh, donations from those foundations as well as individuals and trusts, as Joey mentioned. Uh, Also, if a school building fund is registered as a charity with the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission, it would also be eligible for income tax exemption. Uh, Permitted expenditure from a school building fund includes acquiring, constructing, capital improvements and maintenance of buildings and fixtures, but not chattels. So when we're talking about a building, I guess in the traditional sense, we're thinking about a permanent structure, roofed usually has you know, walls and flooring, provides protection from the elements. And we're also including within that uh, permitted expenditure fixtures. So fixtures are something that forms part of the building permanently, or for a substantial period of time. And these items generally cannot be removed from the school building without substantial damage either to the building or to the item itself. So we've listed some examples which sort of just uh, touch on these different factors when we're thinking about fixtures being items that you can spend money on, that's things like carpet, fixed air conditioners, security alarms, window and door grills, and we've said fixed smart screens as well, so the, to the extent they're installed as really part of the building and you couldn't remove it without you know, destroying the wall or destroying the, destroying the screen, that would be a fixture, whereas you are not uh, allowed to expend funds on chattels, so computers, training equipment, furniture, lab equipment, a smart screen if it was on a movable trolley that you might move between classrooms, or learning materials. Uh, It's also important to note that for a donor to be entitled to a tax deduction, the gift must be voluntary, unconditional, and it cannot be compulsory as part of or instead of school fees. And we're just going to go a little bit further into expenditure from a school building fund, if we can just go over a slide, Ali. So, expenditure, so just to go, because I'm sure many of you have school building funds and are utilising those sorts of structures, when we talk about permitted expenditure uh, from the fund, it must be for the purposes of acquiring or constructing a school building for school purposes used or to be used as a school. So, this would include uh, you know, the buildings for classrooms, indoor swimming pools and assembly halls, it would not include uh, land being used for recreational use. It wouldn't include playgrounds, sporting fields, tennis courts, car parks, covered play areas or general landscaping of the area around the school. Uh, and as mentioned in the previous slide, purchase of land is only permissible to the extent that it reasonably relates the area of land occupied by a building. So again, it couldn't be land that was being used as a playground or a sporting field, just land on which you were going to construct an actual school building. Uh, You're also able to expend money for the purposes of maintenance. So maintaining a school building for school purposes would include things like repairs, uh, maintenance, as I said, cleaning, security costs, including salaries and wages for the relevant staff apportioned as Need be depending on where they're, you know, conducting their security activities, building insurance, but it doesn't include maintaining land, maintaining a sports field, playgrounds, car parks, landscaping, it doesn't include teachers' salaries, uh, or utilities or contents insurance. Uh, you can expend money from the fund for the purposes of investing or lending money in order to provide money for the acquisition, construction, or maintenance of a school building. You can also Spend money from the fund for the purposes of repaying debt principal and interest in relation to a loan taken out to acquire and construct a building used to be used as a school and finally general administrative costs relating to you know ongoing administration and operation of the school building fund that money can also come out of the fund itself.
1: So just before we leave that slide um, just touching on a couple of those points the maintenance and the debt so, to give an example, if you were built if you'd built a building um, and the building fund contributed two million dollars and the school borrowed a million dollars um, to uh, finish off that project, then the building fund can repay the debt. You can use building fund deductible monies to repay the debt or reimburse the school for repaying the debt and thereby freeing up school funds for other purposes. And similarly with maintenance, If you've got a million dollars eligible maintenance in your school budget that would normally be paid by the school, that can actually be paid by the building fund to reimburse the school or paid directly by the building fund. And again, freeing up funds within the school, which could then be used for subsidies, for example, for scholarships, which wouldn't have the restrictions that will apply in relation to scholarship funds, which I'm now gonna talk about. Um, so, thanks. So, what's a scholarship fund? It seems to perplex a lot of people out there in the school world. Um, it's a fund established and maintained solely to provide money for eligible scholarships, bursaries, or prizes. It has tax deductible status. It's also an item one DGR. It must be registered as a charity with the Australian Charities Not for Profit Commission or operated by a registered charity, for example, the school, and as a result also has tax exempt status. Scholarships, bursaries and prizes can only be awarded to Australian citizens or permanent residents. They must be awarded on the basis of merit or equity, and for the purpose of promoting the recipient's education in an approved Australian course or at an educational institution overseas, as part of an approved course. So that would allow for exchange programs, for example. It must be open to students throughout Australia, a state or territory or a region of at least 200,000 people or study at the school, rather than simply being open only to existing students at your school. Acceptable methods to promote the scholarships and bursaries include advertising on the school website, and in school and other um, publications, for example, local newspapers, but it's unlikely you would reach that 200,000 target and you would need to advertise in a major daily newspaper with a wide circulation to achieve that. Scholarships can't be awarded as a substitute for paying reduced school fees or as part of or instead of school fees for um, relatives and associates. What are the benefits? So it can provide ongoing or one-off benefits to students to cover school fees, textbooks and other related educational experiences, such as expenses rather, such as uniforms, travel, boarding or living costs. It can be awarded on a merit basis for academic sporting or other purposes otherwise related to education or for reasons of equity, socioeconomic, disadvantage hardship etc it must be awarded on the basis of merit or equity rather than current enrollment at a particular school or for uh, religious race or ethnicity purposes the scholarship fund can accumulate funds and it's not required to distribute funds for school bursaries or prizes within any set time limit the requirements Um, It must be awarded to Australian citizens or permanent uh, residents of Australia. International students are not eligible. And the next one open to at least 200,000 people, um, which is a concern um, for a lot of people out there in the school world. So entry to the scholarship must be open to individuals. You need to advertise, as we've already discussed. But The following matters are consistent with this requirement, even though they may have the effect of reducing the number of people who could qualify. So the scholarship could be only for study at your school. It could be only for study within a particular discipline within your school, Um, but um, there need to be relevant merit or equity criteria. So the limitations, it's not available for anyone at your school. And that seems to be um, the the predominant failing and the desire of people, especially in these COVID-19 circumstances. So it can't only be open to students at a particular school, even if you come from the 200,000 people cohort a new scholarship offer to existing school students to participate in an existing school program will not qualify if it's only offered to those school students. Similarly, current enrollment at a particular school or college, uh, college doesn't qualify or satisfy those criteria. And existing subsidies to your current school students will not be able to be funded through a new scholarship fund as they're only open to students at your school. So these are all the things you can't do. What can you do? A new scholarship or bursary offered to both existing school students and non-school students throughout the state will qualify to be funded through the scholarship fund even if it's ultimately granted to a student at your school, as long as the student wins the scholarship or bursary on the basis of merit and or equity criteria and not simply because they attend your school. We, uh, I'm not quite sure how it came about, whether it was um, Educate Plus or a member, but somebody reached out to the ATO during the course of the week. They became aware that I was presenting this. And so they thought it was timely to remind me, to remind you of some of the requirements. So this slide deals with the tax office view provided to us by Melinda Knight um, as at two days ago. So in relation to the use of existing or new Uh, DGR endorsed scholarship funds to provide fee relief to existing students of a school. They say ATO advice has been consistent with the law that scholarship funds cannot be used to provide fee relief for enrolled students. Scholarships may be awarded to enrolled students in a manner consistent with the law and the governing document of the fund, but this cannot be exclusively to provide fee relief to enrolled students even if only for a limited period. The fund's established criteria for awarding scholarships must be observed, namely merit and or equity, to the broader $200,000 base and a broader population. And this matter has previously been escalated to Treasury, but the position is that ATO have been advised that a change in law would be required in order to extend this category. There was another query by um, a participant in the program in relation to whether the new disaster relief category, sorry, the new, uh, there's an existing disaster relief category but it's been extended um, in the last few weeks to apply to the COVID-19 pandemic. So a declaration's been made um, and disaster relief funds um, can be used to provide relief to the broader community but the tax office view is that a a fund established by a private school to provide fee relief to existing enrolled students would not qualify under this category. So that's all straight from the tax office. Um, Compliance, I'm not gonna burden you with this, but I just briefly, in relation to those three categories, library funds, building funds and scholarship funds are all public funds, so they need to be managed by Um, a majority of responsible persons. Responsible persons are people who are accustomed to working under a set of governance rules and um, have a degree of responsibility. So typically that would include lawyers, doctors, uh, accountants, school principals, and um, full-time teachers. There are five ACNC governance standards that need to be complied with, Um, that's on the slides. They're also, um, all of these funds are subject to common law principles of trust law and state trustee legislation requiring that when exercising their um, investment and other powers, they use appropriate care, diligence and skill of a prudent person in managing the affairs of other persons, including where there are investments to review them at least annually. Most of these, although historically, a lot of old funds don't, if they're governed by a trustee, you need to comply with the trustee. And finally, if you are a public ancillary fund, and this is a good segue, we're about to talk about them, um, they're also governed by the public ancillary fund guidelines. So, what is a public ancillary fund and why would you use them in conjunction with your school entities? It's a fund, used as a vehicle for philanthropy to which donors can make tax-deductible gifts. It needs to be controlled by a majority of responsible persons. We just touched on who's eligible for that purpose. One limitation, it can't accept distributions or donations from a private ancillary fund or another public ancillary fund and some of the major High wealth donors to some of your schools may have their own private ancillary funds. So if funds were to be received from those, they can only go into your item one DGRs, the uh, library fund, building fund and scholarship fund. The public ancillary fund has what's known as item two DGR status because it operates as a conduit to other item one DGRs. Um, The foundations, these public ancillary funds would ordinarily have income tax exempt status, but they need to be registered with the ACNC. Their sole purpose is to provide money, property or benefits to other deductible gift recipients. So this would include school building funds, library funds and scholarship funds. They can be used more broadly, but typically when they're working in conjunction with a school, they would be limited to those or any of them. Um, They can't provide funds to other public or private ancillary funds or to a political party, and they can't carry out programs other than in conjunction with the school building fund, library fund, etc. So, why do people use public ancillary funds in conjunction with schools? Because it gives you the capacity to collect and accumulate donations in one place with. Um, the flexibility to subsequently decide how you will allocate those funds, whether for a building program or for a scholarship f- program. You don't need to make that decision at the time of donation, you can make it later on. It allows um, donors or the fund to focus donations on projects that may last over a number of years, possibly investing the funds in the interim and without releasing them to the school-controlled entities and thereby uh, ensure a predictable flow of funding for a long-term project. An often-desired feature of public ancillary funds is to create a separation between the public ancillary fund and the school entities, typically with separate public ancillary fund management for people who may, in whole or in part, be independent from the management of the school and the, the the management is often comprised of wise school elders or youngers, um, but a separation of control. Um, it allows you to provide for endowments and for legacy projects, and it gives you the flexibility to swap and change between projects and the recipient DGRs within the school community. Um, control in supporting different projects for different purposes. And if you have funds invested and they're invested in shares, you get a refund of franking credits, which is very useful. Um, a bonus. Okay, to so COVID-19 and some questions that have uh, arisen in my dealings with school and in the, in the course of preparing for this webinar. So what happens? with discounted school fees or school fee reduction, where a request has been made for parents to donate the fee reduction back to the school. In order for these gifts to be categorised as a gift and consequently tax deductible, they must be truly a gift. Most importantly, they need to be made voluntarily by the donor, the donor, cannot and should not expect anything in return, should not get any material benefit, and importantly, just as a matter of process, they need to authorise this. What is not a gift and not tax deductible is making a payment to a library fund, building fund, scholarship fund, or a public ancillary fund, if you have one, as an alternative to an increase in school fees or a reduction in future school fees. Or payments where there is an understanding that it'll be used to provide some form of benefit to the donor. Um, Recently, Understand Educate Plus have lobbied um, to extend the criteria for scholarship fund deductible gift recipients so that scholarships and bursaries are able to be only available to existing students at a particular school, but the ATO view with that is that any change to the way in which scholarship fund DGR category works requires a change in the law. And at present, the ATO are saying their criteria remain unchanged. And so this extension as we sit today has not been um, granted. So maybe Educate Plus can keep you informed in relation to progress on that. So, that's really all we wanted to tell you. I've got a couple of questions um, that have been asked of me before the presentation, and I might do those first, and then uh, Jess or Ali will feed me some questions that have come through um, while I've been presenting. Um, I can't tell you exactly who it's from, but uh, I'll just read the question. Um, Many independent schools are discounting fees for term two. If a hardship fund is established and a family donates its discount to the fund, um, is this donation still tax deductible? Our understanding is that it would be seen as a scheme by the ATO and should be avoided. So no, the answer to that is no, it is okay as long as it is voluntarily a gift and there are no um, benefits and no strings attached to that gift. A second question in the same email, given that funds in support of the current students are not, uh, yeah, funds within support of current students are not tax deductible under the current scholarship fund rules, is there an opportunity for schools with DGR status to use the recently announced COVID-19 disaster relief um, to support families? So number one, I've answered that question. Disaster relief definitely doesn't apply. But um, it's not quite the case. You can use your scholarship fund, but you need to use it not and not limited to the existing students, but to make it available more broadly. And if your students happen to be successful, they can um, be granted a scholarship from the fund. And just one more from the pre email category. Um, really along the same lines. It may seem like a stupid question, but until this crisis it was pounded into Foundation CEO heads, the bursaries can only be awarded to external applicants to show it was open to 200,000 people, not just to the children at the school. And as I've already explained, that is not the case. It is not limited to external applicants. It's open to external and internal, but you have to have relevant criteria and decide for the allocation on a merit or equity basis taking into account those criteria. And so if it ends up being awarded to a student at that school, that is certainly permissible.
0: Thank you, Joey. Um, just to yeah. get through some more questions now, and, and just, I guess, to um, continue on from what you were just talking about. So there is a lot of questions around the 200,000 person um, criteria, at uh, 200,000 eligible candidates. So this is a question here, which reads as follows do you really need to prove that you have adver- advertised scholarships to 200,000 eligible candidates? Or is there a requirement that you need to prove that the scholarship is open to at least 200,000 eligible candidates?
1: Well, I think the safest thing to do is to advertise. And, you know, if you depending on your catchment area, um, if your local newspapers and your school community got you to 200,000, that'd be fine. Otherwise, you have to go to a major daily and you need to advertise. I don't think there is any... Way around that, you have to um, advertise. You maybe you would hope that two hundred thousand people don't apply. Maybe you'll hide the ad in the corner of the um, classified somewhere, but you do need to advertise to prove that point, and then decide for the allocation on the on relevant criteria.
0: Okay. Um, thank you for that, Joey. There's a, a, another question here um, again with regards to a, a building fund and that is do the building funds relate to something like a boat shed could you use money in a building fund to, to um
1: to build a boat shed ooh a boat shed um so is it i mean the criteria there is that it's got to be um occupied as a building used or to be used as a school so my inclination is that it's falling into that sort of category of, you know, like the the, the school um, sporting fields. Um, if it's used as a school, fine. Um, but mm, my sense is it's more sporting, tennis, etc. not the part that's actually used as the school. But... Uh, we can take that one on notice, but I, I think it sounds... I mean, I imagine a boat shed is being used as part of... Um, yes, yeah, so it's not a boat shed on a beach. We're not about a boat shed for, uh, next to the Arrow for rowboats. Is is that what we're talking about? Anyway, well, it's a boat shed at we, the school. We can take that one on notice and come back to you and you can advise them, but in, in, in immediate reaction is no. Okay.
0: Um, so I guess the question now, just back to the scholarship fund. So you let's say a school has been able to satisfy the test that the scholarship is advertised to two hundred thousand people. They put a small ad um, in the uh, in the daily. Say you're in Sydney, they put a small ad in the Daily Telegraph. Um, the classifiers, so that has a two hundred thousand person reach. Um, the question now is, can a scholarship or bursary be awarded based on financial hardship alone? Yes. And that can be applied merit and, to- merit and or equity, so it's either basis. Okay, and that could apply, as you mentioned earlier, to current students as well as others in the community.
1: Correct. You need to have criteria to dis- to you know to dis- process all of those applications mm-hmm. and come up with relevant criteria to award the application. But it's available to existing students and to external students. Okay. You know, in an ideal world, no external students will apply. And then you're left with your cohort of existing students. It's permissible to advertise to them. And then how do you make... Is a school at the
0: discretion to decide who they want to accept? Yes. There's a a process for going through
1: that. Schools, I would imagine, who give um, scholarships and or award um, discounted fees would have a process for doing that. Uh, That process... For a scholarship fund, you need a trustee. That process is typically set out in the trustee. The ATO have got some criteria. Um, They will ask you when you're applying for approval of that what your criteria are. They need to be set out in the deed or in the application. So um, it's for those who don't have one, you get to choose what those criteria are, or at least choose who makes those decisions. So usually there's a committee that's formed a combination of independent and school people to assess, particularly um, on uh, on equity basis, merit is a little bit different.
0: Okay. Can you? Uh, here's a question, I guess, which probably many are asking. Can you please give a specific example where a current student may be eligible for a DGR scholarship as part of the wider community?
1: You advertise to two hundred thousand people, and twenty people apply and the best candidate, taking into account relevant objective criteria, is the current student on merit or equity. You have to be there in making that allocation, but you're not excluded from giving it to your student, but you have to have relevant criteria. Criteria can't be because they are a student. Criteria is because of A, B, C or D. Okay.
0: so the question is, many schools are now starting to set up a, a, a DGR scholarship fund. They may not have had one in the past, but due to the crisis, they're doing so. The question is, can a tax deduction be awarded retroactively?
1: No. So um, you need, for all of these funds, they need to be established. In So it, the one exception for that is the public answerary fund. It's also not retroactive, but that's where, if you don't have your scholarship fund, then you can get the public ancillary funds set up a little bit quicker, um, then you can take it into the public ancillary fund and release it to all of those other funds later on. But, you know, typically it's a couple of months, two to three months, you know, we're in mid-May, so definitely running out of time, if not already run out of time to get them set up by the 30th of June. You, it must have its DGR status at the time of the donation, otherwise you don't get the deduction.
0: Um, Here's a question, which I think is again, something which many would be asking, Um, the the use of funds within a building fund, as you spoke about earlier, or within a scholarship fund, and how that could be used to offset costs in the school, which then frees up money um, for the school to be able to discount fees. So just along those lines, somebody has asked here, could you please elaborate more on which salaries can be paid by the library and building funds?
1: Um, so, the relevant salaries are only ones that relate to maintenance, basically. For library and building? Yeah, library and building. Okay. The library, so, librarian? Yeah. So, library is librarian, and um, the salary under the school building fund category are those salaries that relate to maintenance, so that would be cleaning staff. Okay. Um,
0: here's a question. What wording would you use to raise funds for student hardship outlining tax deductibility? So I guess to give you more context, um, the person who's asking this question says we've got a scholarship fund. Um, We could advertise to 200,000 people, um, which fits that criteria. We're then going to try and award it as much as possible to members specifically within our school community. Um, But hardship directly uh, is a person who's coming from the uh, perspective that just raising for hardship directly is not tax deductible, but raising within the scholarship fund obviously is. So, what
1: wording would you suggest? Um, no hardship is, as I said, a combination of merit or equity, and it doesn't and or equity importantly. So, it's either one or the other. So, hardship's fine by itself. Okay. So,
0: just saying we help provide, uh, uh, just asking the community to please donate to help those families in financial hardship. Um, please donate to our scholarship fund. Yeah, yeah but not, yeah. not not hardship
1: just for students at our school. Hardship for students, full stop. Hardship for students.
0: And that, I guess, leads to another question that was asked, which is, can a donor tick a box to say, I want my donation just to go to current students? No. Okay.
1: Look, um, that's, a, that's an interesting one. I suppose you, to the extent that it would have to be predicated by on the basis that there are any scholarships allocated to current students. I want I prefer mine to go to a current student, but because the fact is you can't you can't you know dictate that it's going to be a current student who gets the scholarship. It's got to be open. You have to you know grant the scholarship on objective criteria. So I think if there was a um, condition on that at the beginning, along the lines of assuming that scholarships are, it's not preference that it be awarded to a current student. If you made it conditional, it's actually not a gift. So that, I think that has a, a dramatic impact for the donor, because conditional gifts aren't gifts, and they don't get tax deductibility in the first place. There's more a problem for the donor than it is for the recipient. Another question more with regards to offsetting
0: costs through your building fund. So just to touch on what you were saying that it could only, uh, the salaries that could be paid out of the building fund is just for cleaning staff salaries. But how about the salaries of a property and maintenance team, uh, holistically?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, again, absolutely. Cleaning staff, property, anything to do with maintenance of a school building, repairs and maintenance, cleaning, security, costs include, I don't know about security staff, that I don't think, I'm not sure about that. Um, salaries, wages of those people, they would all be um, relevant and eligible, and apportioned if necessary. If they don't, if they're doing something that is both maintenance um, and some other job, then you need to, uh, on some basis, fairly apportion those salaries. Um, someone here asked. There was an, a news article
0: about their school that was published. And its reaction to the COVID-19 disaster and that article included info about the fund and fee relief so assuming this article appeared on a mainstream media website which is viewed potentially by two hundred thousand people would this be considered an advertisement
1: um i i think you'd I, hard to answer that question without actually seeing the article i don't think so i think to me it requires something like an avert act to actually advertise we have a scholarship of available, please apply here. But it's possible. It is possible. But whether it did or didn't, um, I think you'd have to do a detailed analysis to see if it fit within the requirements. Okay.
0: Um, We'll take time for a couple of more. This happens often at schools where donors just want to support the school and they're not really particular about where the donation goes. They just give a general donation and expect a tax deduction, either through the library building or scholarship fund. Does the donor have to be specific or can
1: the school use its discretion? Um, Well, you have to receive it and receipt it into the right place. So if someone says, I want to give a donation and they're not specific, um, because you have to write the cheque to the building fund or the library fund, um, I, I think that's fine. The school has that right to allocate. That's one of the advantages of a public ancillary fund. Um, I, I think that's permissible.
0: Um, so we'll just, we'll just go for, for one more here. Um, there are questions around scholarship funds. You mentioned religion earlier and ethnicity and race. Many schools offer an Indigenous scholarship, for example. Would yep. that therefore not qualify because it's based on
1: race or ethnicity? It's an interesting question. I'm sure a lot of people offer Indigenous scholarships. Um, might need to take that one on notice. I can't imagine not. Um, but uh, so, how do you offer Indigenous scholarship to 200,000 people? Oh, you'd have to probably go outside the states, wouldn't you, to get 200? I'm not sure about the, the, the numbers and dynamics of that. I can't imagine that would be a problem, but I, I would need to take that one on notice.
0: Um, I think we'll, we'll leave it uh, there. There's a number of questions we can go on for a couple of hours and we're already 10 minutes over time. Just to clarify, Joey, and I think this is really what most people that are attending this webinar today really wanted more clarity on, um, is with regards to providing um, assistance for current families through a scholarship fund. According to your advice, that scholarship fund needs to be advertised to 200,000 people. It doesn't need to be on the front page of the local newspaper, it could be advertised anywhere as long as it has a 200,000-person circulation. And then decisions can be made um, based on whatever the trust deed of that particular fund is and can be awarded to um, current students uh, in the, uh, for, uh, for hardship purposes.
1: Yes, but not exclusively. not exclusively. You need to go through a process, and if at the end of the day, uh, current students reward the scholarship on a hardship basis, that's fine.
0: Okay. Um, is there anything else you'd like to, to share, Joey, as we close off?
1: Now, we've got um, at the back of the presentation when we give it to you, we've got all the resources that um, the tax office resources that are available, Um, a good webinar from the ATO last year on school building funds, not much more, you know, scholarship funds came out mid-2000s, so 2005, six or seven, around there. Really, there isn't much available on scholarship funds. Um, not too many, in my experience, have been audited or reviewed. I've certainly been involved in school library funds and building funds that have, um, but not too many scholarship funds. That's not to say they won't be, so, um, but more important, there's just not a lot of other information available and it hasn't changed much in you know, the last 10 or 15 years. Um, but there are, there are those resources, so you can refer to those and I'll leave it to you, Perrots, to circulate um, this. We'll provide it to you after, and you can circulate it to um, everyone who's participated. Okay. Um, thank you, Joan. I've just written
0: here on the chat that if anybody wants the slides from this webinar, they're available on a request basis. So if you just send through an email to info at um, we'll be able to provide you there with those slides. Um, and finally, as I mentioned earlier, um, if you're looking at an online giving page to assist your community through this time, as I said, send us through an email to info at with the name of your school. And we could, as I said, our team are gonna be working over the weekend and we'll be able to get that to you um, for a first look on Monday. Um, so again, the email is in the chat box. Um, Joey and Jessica, Annie, really, really thank you so much for your time. I'm sure our participants here today, uh, over 200 of them, um, thank you for your time as well. Um, and that it's giving them a lot to think about and hopefully a few more options and a few more alternatives than they may have otherwise thought possible. So thank you so much for um, f- facilitating and providing this uh, valuable information to the community. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye.